When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. You're listening to the Project Upland Podcast. Welcome back to the show for episode number 35. I am your host, Nick Larson. Thank you for joining me for another great Upland adventure. This week we head to Idaho. More on that in a minute. Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp and Onyx Maps. GumleafUSA.com. Use promo code PU2018. Free shipping from GumleafUSA.com. you got to check out Gumleaf Boots. They are made in Europe. They are handmade. Go to GumleafUSA.com. You can see a video of the boots being made. They're a great pair of boots. I've got them. Wore them last season. Can't wait to get back out in them this season. I wear them anytime it's wet and pretty much anytime I'm grouse and woodcock hunting. Check them out, gumleafusa.com. Use PU2018 for free shipping from gumleafusa.com. This week, the Project Up and Gear giveaway is going to one of our listeners, Mark Hinkle. Mark, appreciate it. He sent me an email. He suggested a guest that will be on a future episode of the podcast that I'm very excited about. I got in touch with the guest this week. Mark, sent us some great feedback on the podcast and gave us a guest suggestion. And for that, he's going to pick out a hat or a t-shirt from the Project Upland web store, and I will get that out to him ASAP. Thank you to Mark and to the rest of our listeners. You could be next week's winner. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to this show by doing any of these things. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the show. Send me an email, including some feedback, and hopefully a future podcast guest suggestion i love to hear from the listeners we appreciate the feedback and we use it to make the show better every week i hope you agree thank you for sharing the podcast and keep on listening all right let's do it episode number 35 of the project upland podcast this week i was joined by andrew waymont andrew is a upland hunter first and foremost he is also a lawyer he's a writer he's a published author he's on social media him and his brother run a blog uplandways.com his brother's a veterinarian the two of them have quite a presence in the upland hunting community and andy 
has a book that is coming out in August called Idaho Rough Grouse Hunting. And he joined the show. We talked about his upland story, many of his adventures, his interests, his tastes in the field, in writing, in books, how he got inspired to write his book, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Let's welcome to the show, without any further ado, Andrew Wayment. Andy, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's it's my pleasure to have you on, and uh, I'm really excited to to have a conversation with you about uh, upland bird hunting in Idaho. Looking forward to that. You you got to be our your first guest from from Idaho, so that'll be a that'll be a cool. Actually, I take that back. I think we had uh, Bob McMichael from Chucker Culture. Do you know him? Is he out in Idaho? Um, yeah, most of the checker hunters are from the western part of the state, yeah. um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's from the Boise area. There's a lot of good checker hunting over there. Yep. So, so with that in mind, why don't you why don't you put us put us on the map, Andy? Where exactly are you in Idaho? I'm in Idaho Falls, which is the biggest eastern city, just you know, so- southeastern Idaho. But we're kind of right on the Snake River, not too far from the South Fork of the Snake River and the Henry's Fork. So, just really good fishing around here. Good fishing, yeah. I see a, see a lot of your a lot of your fishing pictures on on Instagram. I know that's uh, that's one way that you get through the off season. What's what's the uh, you know we just had the summer solstice last week, so the days are are they're still pretty dang long right now, but they're they're effectively getting shorter, which which means we're getting closer to fall. What what's your big uh, countdown date? Are you guys September one? Um, we actually start a little bit earlier. Okay. Um, August August thirtieth in Idaho for the forest grouse season. August thirtieth, so, you're yep, in the woods. We're we so we start hunting in the summer, but it's you know but by that time it, you start to get the cooler nights and and uh, when you you know some of the days when you go up to hunt you know it's pretty warm, but in the mornings you get a little bit of Christmas Christmas, so it's really really good, but. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I mean, we're we're a couple of weeks behind you, but but similar story. The you kind of live for the for the mornings and the evenings, the mornings especially, and then uh, the the midday and afternoons they can be they can be pretty hot. But at that point, I think we're all just pretty fired up to get out there. Well, for sure, you know, I start running my dogs, um, you know, like in July in the early mornings. So we we start trying to get them conditioned and you know trying to find a few birds and. You know, usually we don't find start getting into them really he- heavily until August, but you know we do start running them in in July. Yeah. So how how far from from wild bird cover are you where you live? Most of my covers I can get to within an hour. Oh, perfect. Yeah, not too far. So and I've you know I've got some that are farther away, but you know I have a lot of lot of good cover close to home, so there's not a, a good reason to go elsewhere when you got birds here. You know. Yep, absolutely. That's that's a that's a good way to be set up, and and it's a it's a good thing to have nearby. That's for sure, especially when you got bird dogs. Yeah, for sure. So before we get too far into this, I guess let's let's rewind a little bit. I always like to do this and kind of start from the beginning. Are you are you a are you a native resident of Idaho? Is that where you've been been your whole life? Um, that's a good question. My my family's pretty much lived everywhere. Um, Utah is where my parents were from, and that's where we lived when I was younger. And then my family lived in Idaho briefly, uh, and then we moved to um, and ended up in North Carolina. Actually, went to high school in North Carolina, and then moved back to Idaho and have been, you know, resident of Idaho since about 1992. So we we, we claim Idaho as as home, even though we haven't lived here our, all all of our lives. But good place to be for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of a little bit of moving around there, and and that is kind of makes my next question a little bit curious you know where when and where did the upland hunting enter your life that's a great question my when i was really young um my dad you know told me you know that i was getting a dog for for my birthday and it was a springer spaniel i was too young to hunt at the time but my older brother sean who writes with me on the blog uh got really big time into upland bird hunting and 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 would tell me, you know, how great a dog uh, Charlie Brown was. That was his name. 
and they, you know, bring home pheasants. So I got to eat wild pheasant when I was really young. And it was just always, uh, you know, set a, set a big impression for me. And it wasn't until, I, you know, my family's always been into hunting. My dad is big time into big game hunting and, and uh, you know, a little bit of bird hunting, uh, not as much as, as Sean. But when we moved to North Carolina, we kind of got away f- away from that. But when they moved back, um, you know, hunting became a big part of our lives again. And Sean is really the one who got me back into bird hunting. And, and I didn't start hunting in earnest until I was already in law school. Okay. And uh, we were, which was up in, in northern Idaho in Moscow. And Sean uh, had just graduated from vet school over at Wazoo, which is just over the state line in Washington. And, uh, he, he would come over and, you know, with his pointer and, and, uh, it only took one solid rock solid point and shooting a rooster over his, uh, pointer jibbers that, 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 that got the bug in me. And I, after <laughs> that, I got a bird dog and I've been hopeless ever since. So, yeah, hopeless. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, I think there's. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. You know, I, I um, through throughout law school, uh, you know, the, just a couple months later, I got a uh, German short hair okay. pointer that we named Rudy, and then I he he didn't live too long. He actually got hit by a car, but then we I got Farley while I was up there, and I've had bird dogs now for twenty plus years. So. Was Farley was Farley another GSP? He Farley was a he was an L Hugh. Okay, and he he was a rock star, just a wonderful dog. So you know, I used to think that everybody wanted to come hunt with me, but it, but it was really they wanted to come hunt with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh pretty neat to pretty neat to have a dog that dog like that where you got you got people banging down your door where they wanted to wanting to come hunt with the dog. That's that's pretty. Yeah, cool. he was amazing. I mean, and I've got a big family. I've got. You know, um, there's five boys in my family, and then we've got all of our nephews, and just a really big family. And and so we've we've hunted with a lot of them. And uh, sometimes we'd go out to hunt quail, and Farley was you know the main dog that we had, and everybody shot birds over point from this dog. He was amazing. So he's just a really good dog, and and you know just had the the drive, and he ran big, and but uh, very hard headed, but 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 very talented. Very natural, a lot of natural ability with Farley. Yeah, so so it was a it was a pointy dog thing. You shot your first bird over point, and that kind of uh kind of led you down that path. Now, for sure, I know that just by looking at pictures, you don't have GSPs or pointers <laughs> today. So so you uh you you you've 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 tried a few different uh, breeds of pointy dogs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm big time into to uh, French Britneys and, and American Britneys, and, and that's just a personal preference. I you know I I love the other breeds. I've hunted with the other breeds. Yeah. My brother Sean is a, a big time setter guy, but but I love Britneys. I just think that they're they're just good dogs, great hunting dogs, and also good companions. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you said it. There's there's good ones in every breed, and uh, you just gotta you gotta do your research and find them, and and ultimately pick something that you like and you enjoy hunting with. For sure. So you shot a rooster over your brother's dog. I'm curious. You know, are well, we're gonna talk about this later, but but I know you hunt rough grouse. Is that is that what you're mainly hunting? I mean, do you you? I know you have you have more more species of bird out there, but are you are you mainly chasing rough grouse? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, Idaho is, is is a great state. I mean, we have I want to I'd have to go through and name them all, but I think we have about eight species of, of bird, you know, upland birds to hunt. Yeah. And and I'm I'm a grouse hunter. I'll hunt any grouse. Uh, Idaho has five species of grouse, and uh, so, but my favorites um, for a long time were sharp tail and blues probably blues a little bit more okay and i i always hunted rough grouse but they, i always struggled with them I, i'll be honest with you I, they were tough they were one of my i call them a nemesis bird <laughs> they're always kicking my butt but yeah you know just just as as i've gotten to you know more mature in hunting i just love the challenge i love to hunt them i love everything about them you know the, their covers the you know just the places where you find them you know I, I even like getting burned by them nowadays you know they just never cease to amaze me so that's my favorite bird but i still love all other grouse i mean i've got an article that's coming out in, in this issue of gundog 
called the Idaho Grouse Grand Slam, where I, in one season, I took all five species. And uh, so I, I still hunt all of them, and I, you know, I love them all. I, I never met a grouse I didn't like, so. I like that. I like the way you put that. Yeah, that's okay. So that that was going to be my next question is you talked about the Grand Slam. How does it look like on a typical day? Can you uh, can you get into more than one species on, on a typical day? I mean, upland birds, you know, grouse in particular, they, they tend to be they're specialists and and they do well. They do well in specific kind of habitats for certain reasons. But do you see some overlap out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing that, you know, I wrote about in my book is, is, you know, the mixed bag, you know, when you're hunting specifically rough, rough grouse, but some of my covers, um, you know, we find in the early season, we find blue grouse and rough grouse in close proximity. You know, there's been times where, um, roughies are getting up and I, I shoot and I drop a bird and it's a, it's a blue grouse. So they can be in the same covers, especially in the early season. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's not uncommon for me to walk some of the logging roads that I walk and I can see both, you know, roughies and blues within a 50 yard stretch. Now there's another place that I like to hunt that I've wrote, uh, written about a lot. And that's, uh, uh, we call it the Royal McNam. And in that spot, um, primarily we hunt for sharp tails, but it's got all of these thick wooded draws that, that kind of go downhill from the bench. So there's like three or four draws. And when you get to the, the, to the tree line, you'll often find the rough grouse right on the edge. Sure. So, you know, we've had days where we've killed rough sand and, uh, uh, sharp tails all, all in the same time, you know, same, same hunt. So, and then I'm trying to think what else we would run into. Um, you know, up in Northern Idaho, we used to, you know, there were places where we hunted for pheasants and huns and quail and once you hit you know get into the trees near the cr uh, crp fields yep you'd also get into rough grouse so northern idaho is kind of a, a really cool place to, to get the mixed bag because you're going to find so many birds in close proximity yeah absolutely so you know you, you mentioned draws and and a little bit of the terrain i know i know i've read in maybe an rgs something that you had in rgs but you talk about uh mountains obviously and uh, and elevation mm-hmm. and elevation and climbing and and i'd, I'd be curious to talk a little bit about about how that kind of plays into your hunts i mean you gotta you gotta hoof some terrain yeah for sure um you know and it really depends on on what you're hunting you know and when you're hunting for blue grouse you 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 tend to have to hike in some some rougher terrain uh the rough grouse will typically stay down by the creek bottoms okay you know that's not always the case like sometimes you know we'll find them up on the side hills but they like those those riparian areas yeah and so you know that's typically where we're finding those and then when you get up on you know get up above the tree line where you're into like the buck brush and the sagebrush that's a lot of times where where you'll find the the blue grouse so they're not always in the same locations but you know early in the season you'll find them in, in close proximity like i said yeah the riparian areas areas and and swamps i mean that's that's typically those are some of the areas that i love to focus on when i'm hunting here in the midwest and and i'm curious have you have you ever hunted rough grouse in the midwest in the great lakes kind of the aspen forest of the northwoods no, I have not. I, and I would love to, I mean, I've, I've read tons about hunting, you know, in, in back East in the new England States yeah. and, and also in App- Appalachia and, you know, down in the Southern States and, 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 uh, you know, Ted Nelson Lundrigan yeah. writes about hunting up, I guess, in your neck of the woods. I, I've always wanted to hunt up there, but the hunting in Idaho is so good that it, it'd be hard to <laughs> pull me away to, to go hunt somewhere else. But you know, we've had invites, Sean and I have, uh, to go out there. We just haven't committed yet, but, and it's, maybe it's because of how good it is out here in Idaho. Sean comes every year, uh, for, for a week or week to 10 days. And, uh, we hunt all over Southern Idaho. So we, that's something that we always look forward to. Where is Sean at? He's in Colorado. Okay. Um, he, yeah, he lives just uh, south of Denver in Castle Rock. Yeah, I guess just just for the listeners, your your brother Sean, he writes on the blog, and maybe we'll we'll touch on the blog a little bit. But he's a uh, he's a uh, he's a veterinarian, bird dog doc. He was just on Reed Bryant's Orvis podcast, right? I, I hadn't yeah, had a chance to I listen to it. Yeah, he did a good job. Yeah. 
uh, that's got to be kind of nice being a being a bird dog guy and a, and a hunter. You you've always got a vet to call. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yep. So and he's always good to help out for sure. Yeah, I had asked you about about hunting over here, and because you know I I've I've only hunted grouse here, and I haven't done a lot of traveling wing shooting. But one of the neat things about rough grouse in particular is they do span such a wide range, and they they inhabit so many. I mean, there's so much variation in the cover types that that they inhabit across their range it's it's it would be very interesting to be able to hunt them in different places and and really compare and contrast but i have uh i haven't had the chance to do that like you well you're you're welcome to to come out and hunt with me anytime nick i'd <laughs> be happy to have you yeah i uh that would that would be a blast do a little uh do a little fishing and, and a little hunting and and uh yeah i don't uh doesn't doesn't take much to convince me that uh, I need to spend another day in the woods. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's plenty of good fishing. That you know, that's why I moved to where I, I moved to because of the fishing. But I've discovered that the hunting is just as good. So, well, that's good to hear. So, at some point, this passion that you and your brother have it did develop into the blog. Correct me if I'm wrong. Upland Ways, Upland Ways, right? Yep, Upland Ways. We actually. Um, we had a, a blog earlier that we started back in like 2008, 2009. Okay. And we called it Upland Equations. Ah. And um, we had, it, it wasn't just me and Sean. It was me, primarily me, but our friend Walter Bruning uh, also contributed. And we had uh, some other guys uh, and, and a lady that contributed. But we decided, and Sean also had his blog, Setter Feathers. Oh, okay. Uh, that some of your readers might remember, but we decided to, you know, combine our, our forces and put all of our focus into just the one blog. And that's when we started Upland Ways. And we, I think all the content from the original Upland Equations blog has been moved over to, to the Upland Ways blog. But so I can't remember exactly when we did that. It's been five years ago, I think. Sure. What was the what was the original motivation to to start a blog in the first place? You know, what made you decide, hey, I want to start putting this stuff on the internet for people. <laughs> you know, I I have to give the credit to to my brother Sean. He's the one that started it, and he's the one that said, "Hey, Andy, you got to come write for this." So yep. he he kind of pushed me into it, and I was like, "Okay, you know, I'm happy to do it because I, I just have a passion for the outdoors. I love I love hunting and fishing and and, uh, you know, I'm also, uh, love to write too. So, so I think he, he kind of felt like it was a good fit for me. And actually before I ever started, uh, writing for the blog, I had already finished writing my first book, which is, is a fishing book, a fly fishing book. Ah. And so I think he, he was aware of that and that kind of gave him the impetus i guess to recruit me so yeah naturally uh if you got a you got a brother that's he's he's already published a book you might tap him to uh to start contributing to your blog yeah i don't know that it had been published see he he recruited me back in 2009 but i wrote it back in 2007 and it took me till 2011 to find a publisher that would publish it so we could probably uh, we could probably do a, an entirely new podcast on getting a book published. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about the nightmare anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a, you're a lawyer by trade, Andy. Is that is that where have you? I guess my question is: Have you always been a writer for fun? You know, have you? Did you start writing about your hunts at an early age? What where did the writing inspiration come from? You know, I, um, you know, in college, I took a lot of lot of. Uh, you know, professional writing classes mm-hmm. and, and, you know, did it as a, as a necessity, um, you know, but writing for fun or just as a, as a, a, a good break from what I do. Yep. I don't, I mean, I think it started back when I, I first started writing that, uh, that fishing book. Okay. So back in about 2007 and, uh, you know, I always, I'm, I'm a big lover of, of, you know, fly fishing and, and bird hunting literature. Yep. And I had read a ton before I ever, you know, tried to put pen to paper, you know, and and so I kind of saw what other people did and what I liked and what I didn't like and just tried to, you know, I've kind of done my own thing, I guess you could say, and hopefully that'll pay off. But, yeah, you know, just I just really it's for me, it's a it's a it's it's a release. It's a way to do something different than than what I do every day as an attorney. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, couple couple things. Uh, obviously, one I, I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of times. People say if you want to be a if you want to be a good writer, be a voracious reader. You know, read a lot of other people's stuff, and and I think everybody uniquely they just have their own style, right? Nobody else is you. So if you if you put the time and effort in, you're you're eventually and, and certainly emulate people that you you respect and look up to and techniques and stuff but but eventually if you keep at it i think kind of your own personal style is going to come out for sure but you know and and i as i've read through a ton of different stuff i mean there there are i like a good story so you know i'm not the where to how to kind of guy yep, yep. you know i really want to read a good story and i and i think you know that's one of the things that i think drew me to writing about grouse hunting is you know burton spiller and George King and Grandpa Grouse, you know, those guys all were good storytellers first and foremost. And, and, uh, you know, they just, they just kind of bring it to life. And, and that's what I hope, you know, that my writing brings out, but, uh, you know, those, those guys knew how to do it. They knew, knew how to take you along. So, yeah, definitely. You know, as much as I love to, to read books, listen to podcasts, you know, I love, I do love to consume information. There is a, it's a different, it's a different feeling. It's a different uh, satisfaction that you get when you actually produce something, you know, and and you flex those creative muscles and and put something down on paper. And I, I've I've dabbled. I would say dabbled. I've written different articles. I've you know I I've had a blog that that my buddy Garrett and I we don't post much on anymore. But I got to get back to it because I really do, I really do enjoy it. And it 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 just gives you like I said a different kind of satisfaction. I'm curious, do you? Do you regularly keep a journal of your hunts, or how do these stories come to life? How do you how do you experience them, and then decide that that this thing is going to be written down? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I used to be really good about writing in my journal, and so a lot of of my book that's coming out pretty soon comes from things that I wrote about, or I recorded in my journal. But you know, the the one thing that I would would say about blogging is that that really is is how i've been doing it lately if that makes sense i use that blog to kind of record and remember yep the things that that i love you know i don't those those experiences that you don't want want to get away from me so you know i i still so to answer your question you know blogging has kind of been the the way that i've recorded those things and and um you know with uh instagram you know, that's another way to record because, you you know, yeah. I'm constantly posting photos of my hunts and my, you know, my fishing trips and things. So you kind of remember some of the little details that way when you, you know, have a, the ability to go back and scroll through and say, OK, yeah, that was that hunt. That's that's where we were. That's what the weather was. That's how we did. You know, yeah, yeah that that has become come very neat. I mean, it was it was kind of a thing with Facebook and your timeline and and sort of recording stuff like that. But Instagram does it in a different way in that it is so visual and you can really you can scroll back on you know, especially on your own timeline, you can scroll back and you can kind of you know, you can trickle through the seasons and, and now it's getting to be Instagram's been around long enough where you can kind of go back through the years and you can see that visual representation of, of all these memories. Yeah, that is that's that's a very cool way and I it's gotta be gotta be why uh, there's so many people doing it. Yeah, you know, I I, I love Instagram. Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but Instagram is is really, you know, I think it's the better it's better for what we love, yeah. you know, for, yep. the, for the hunting and fishing and you don't get as much of the politics. So, yep, yep, hopefully uh ho- hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, so we we have talked, we've talked uh we we couldn't help ourselves. We don't really dove into the book, so we might as well let's kind of put it out in the air. Why don't you give us sort of the the step back overview of the new book that you have completed writing and will be released later this summer. That, that, that'd be great. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, my book is, is called um, Idaho Rough Grouse Hunting, The Heartbeat of the Woods. And, and we, we kind of took the name from, you know, I'm not trying to co- copy, but if you remember um, uh, William Harden Foster's book was New England Grouse Shooting. Yes. So I kind of pitched some names that would try to, invoke that and and they didn't think that shooting they said that's kind of a uh an old term and and so the idaho rough grouse hunting is what we came up with but the original name of the book was was the heartbeat of the woods and i don't know if you remember that article that i wrote for the rough grouse society but basically talked about how you know um 
how the rough, the rough grouse is kind of symbolic of the health of the woods that are around you, if that makes sense. Yeah. If they're there, you usually have a pretty healthy system. If they're not, then, you know, and I, I, I kind of used a quote from, uh, what was the guy's name? Aldo, Aldo. Leopold. Yeah. Yep. That basically says, you know, you take the rough grouse out of that equation and then the whole area is dead, you yeah. know? And so my, my wife is the one that actually came up with the, Hey, that sounds like a heartbeat because we'd be out hiking Oh yeah. In the, in the spring and, and you could hear the roughies drumming while we were hiking. And she's like, what is that? And I'm like, that's rough grass. <laughs> she says, it sounds like a heartbeat. So anyway, that's kind of the, the subtitle, if you will. But, uh, the book has, I think 36 chapters. Um, they're basically stories and essays on rough grouse hunting. Uh, the hunting stories take place in Idaho and, uh, you know, some of the, the issues, um, you know, the essays cover are like Western grouse dogs. Um, let's see, there's, I have one, uh, grouse and lawyers, which is kind of about, yeah, I saw, I saw uh, that title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about, uh, the influence, I guess you could say of, of lawyers on grouse hunting literature is kind of what, how I'd sum that up. There's, um, you know, stories about hunting in the, in the winter. There's, there's, uh, stories about a mixed bag, you know, like what, what you could expect in Idaho. You know, there's, there's just some, some fun stories, fun essays. Um, if you want to get into it, it, a lot of the essays had appeared, you know, before, like in the rough grouse society magazine, there's one that appeared in the Upland Almanac. So, a lot of the stuff has been in print before, but you know it's kind of all collected into this book now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of neat. And those, I guess maybe it's maybe it's just what I like, or at least what I've really been enjoying. You know, in the last few years, it tends to be those those stories. Uh, you know, and they are they are it's 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 a completely different feel than than say the how to book. Um, but, but yeah, they can really, really breathe some life into, into some of these experiences and, and to, to hear them recanted in, in, in certain ways that, that evoke the emotions and the stuff that we all, I think can relate to every time we step woods, step in the woods in the fall, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. And, and I, uh, I certainly enjoy reading that stuff. Yeah. And I hope, hopefully people will, will enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a, for me, it was a labor of love. You know, I've been working on it for, oh, I'd say about five years now. So to come to see it come to fruition is really, really exciting for me. Yeah. So the, what is the timeline? What is the timeline of the stories? Do they kind of all, do they kind of all stem out of the, the past five years or do some of them stretch back? You know, the, the book actually starts, you know, clear back when I started uh, grouse hunting, which okay. was back in, in law school. So, you know, back, almost 20 years ago. So, um, actually 20 years ago, this November would be the, the day, date that I, f- uh, first shot my, uh, sh- shot my first rough grouse on the wing. Wow. So we're coming up on 20 years, but, um, one, one thing I w- will say about the book is that I was able to get a bunch of awesome artists to contribute their work to, to you know, to the project. And, and so, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's pictures throughout, but uh, there, in, in the middle, there's a color insert with with a lot of different artists. I don't know. I mean, I um, I'm sure they probably wouldn't mind me bringing this up. But Bob White, you know, if you know Bob, um, he he did two pieces that are in there. Uh, Peter Cor- uh, Corbin. I oh yeah, I've seen name. that name for sure. Yeah, and that so he he contributed a couple of his paintings that are, that are in there. And then, um, Jason Dowd did, uh, contributed to, he actually did an original piece that, that we included in there. And then, um, MR Thompson, who you guys might know as, uh, uplandish oh, yeah. contributed quite a few different pieces, um, that, that will show up in there. And so it's really fun to, to work with those guys and you know, hopefully they're, you know, my writing will do their beautiful artwork justice. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think you have anything to worry about there, Andy. It's, it's. Uh, I did full disclosure to the listeners. I did, uh, I got to see a little bit of a an electronic copy of it, and uh, and I cruised through it. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I, I, I read a little bit of it. I read the forward and the intro and and one of the stories at the end, which I'll ask you about. But I got the sense very fast, you know, and I saw the artwork. I saw Jay Dowd's artwork in there, and and I got the sense very fast that it was. 
it wasn't something that I wanted to sit in front of my computer and read. I, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be in my chair with, with bird dog at my feet, you know, the classic, uh, classic cliche, like maybe a little beer or a glass of whiskey kind of thing. Well, uh, hopefully you're not the only one, but, um, I, I did forget to mention Ross Young too. He contributed quite a bit of artwork to it as well. So, but the, the, most of the photos though, um, are, are, are photos that I've actually take, taken from the hunt. So hopefully that'll, you know, kind of bring the, the stories to life. What led you to say, just cause I, I find this interesting and, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's other people out there that, that aren't sure. What, where, where did the, the book come from in a sense? Were you contacted? Were you asked to put a book together? Is this something that was a goal of yours and you wanted, you wanted to make it happen? How did that come about? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I just decided that, you know, that, you know I, I wanted to do it. That's, you know, so I, I started to put the book together, you know, before I had a publisher before, you know, I just knew that was something that I wanted to do. And I think it was after, I don't know if you remember, uh, did, have you read George King's That's Rough? Um, uh, I believe that I have a, I don't, I have not read the book. I've got something from George King over here on my shelf, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah. His, his book is wonderful. And it's, it's one of my favorites. And there's a chapter in here where I actually, you know, share a review that I wrote, uh, about his book and, and, um, also, um, a, a conversation. He actually called me or asked me to call him after I wrote that review. And we, we talked. And I think, you know, for, for, for one of the things that I, you know, when I went through that whole experience with, with George, I thought, you know, it would have been a shame for him to, because to, he, he almost didn't publish that book. He sat on it for a long, long time. Yeah. And then towards the end of his life, he said, hey, I, I really need to get this thing done. And, 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 and uh, you know, when I talked to him, one of the things that I mentioned is, uh, you know, I, I just told him how grateful I was that he actually took the time to write this down, you know, cause it's a wonderful book. And, and, and I, I think that was kind of the, the impetus for me to, to do it. You know, I, th- I felt like, you know, I had something to say, I have an experience uh, that's a little, little unique in that, you know, I'm out in the West hunting yeah. rough grouse and, you know, I'm, I'm a brush worn, like, you know, that's the terminology that he, he <laughs> called, Yep. you know, and, and so, um, I felt like, you know, I had had a unique story to tell. And, and so I think that kind of got me uh, having the desire to, to, to do a book in, in this genre. Yeah. You know, I know it's been done before, but not 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 quite like um, it, Well, I take that back. There are people who have written about rough grouse hunting in Idaho. But sure. uh, this is this book is unique, um, I think. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's got your name on it. It's got your penmanship in it. It's going to be unique. I think uh, I think people will enjoy it. Would would you? Will you do it again? You know, I, I've uh, actually got a couple of other books that I've written. Um, uh, actually, one other bird hunting book. I, I definitely would, would do it again. The, the other book um, that I have is, is called Roadside Revelations, which is a, a term uh, that, that we, we coined to when you're driving along the road and you happen to see the bird right beside the road so you know where <laughs> the good cover is, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah. That, that we call that a roadside revelation, but that that's a book that that uh, I'm hopeful will will also be published. But you know, the when I submitted both books, the the company that the publisher that that is going to publish the book, which is the History Press, they were really attracted to this book because it's so specific to Idaho, and so that they wanted to go with this one first. And so I think if this one does well, then hopefully they'll pick the other one up, and 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 we'll you know maybe see it coming out within a year or two. Yeah, definitely. Now you, we've kind of mentioned throughout this conversation, you've, you've mentioned some other authors that you look up to and, and enjoy their stuff. I, what are maybe some things that you haven't mentioned yet? You know, favorite books, people, people looking to, to read more, maybe about, maybe about Western wing shooting, but then kind of what are some of your really favorite books? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I, I'll give you my, my top, uh, three favorite books. If that, I love drummer in the woods by Burton Spiller. Okay. I think that's probably the, I think that's his best work. I, I also love his grouse feather stuff, but it's a little, it's, it, it's, it's not as well organized if, if you will. It's sure. kind of him just 
you know, writing his stories. So I love that stuff. But it's uh, I think that, um, you know, with Drummer in the Woods, Burton has the benefit of really good editors that, that helped him to, you know, kind of keep focused. And I, so I think each one of those stories are just, you know, self-contained masterpieces, if you will. Cool. Really, really good stuff. I have not read that um, one, so I'll have to check that out. I would say, oh, man, my second favorite. Uh, it's, I think it's a toss-up between Grandpa Grouse's uh, Partridge Shortening and George King's That's Rough. Th- those are the top three. And my my uh, top three favorite uh, outdoor writers, for sure. Um, as far as Western books, I would have to say that, you know, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to, to beat Charlie Waterman. You know, he, he, he was kind of a jack of all trades, but, you know, he would come out to, to, uh, to Montana and, you know, he's hunted in Idaho. He wrote uh, a book about upland bird hunting. He wrote some great stuff about hunting in the West. And then I would say Ted uh, Trueblood, you know, he has a hunting treasury that has some really fun stories about hunting birds out West. He's from Idaho. Um, see, I'm trying to think if there's any other, Oh, um, Don Thomas, you know, if uh, he, He's he's a big time lab guy, but I think he does hunt with short hairs now, too. I think he writes a little bit for the Pointing Dog Journal now. But he's written some fun, you know, really fun books. Uh, Fool Hen Blues is a book that he wrote about uh, upland hunting in the West, and so it's got stories about hunting in Montana and uh, you know down south, you know, in the Southwest for quail, and then I think uh, up in Alaska where where he lived and worked for for a time, but. That's a great book. Um, you know, shoot, there's so many, so many that I there really like. are. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, you know, Sean and I are, are book nerds and, uh, more Sean, more so than me, that guy has a bigger uh, upland library than anybody I know. So, <laughs> so and I'm a beneficiary cause he'll usually yeah. buy two copies. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a, that sounds like a, sounds like a pretty good arrangement. Well, we've all, we've all just expanded our ever, and continuously growing uh, reading lists. So I appreciate that. You bet. No, don't get me started. I could go on all day. About that. <laughs> I'm sure you could. Uh, uh, I will ask you this before I move on. How about um, I, now this is an area that I'm, I have read way less in this area and there's one that I have to read. Um, I've never read a river runs through it and I've, I've heard it recommended a million times, but, but uh, some of your favorite fly fishing books, you know, a river runs through it is, is a classic for a reason. It's, I mean, it's just a beautiful book. And yeah. I mean, you, you almost can't read a book nowadays about fly fishing without somebody quoting yeah. uh, Norman McLean. But I love that book. Um, shoot, I'm I'm, I'm trying, trying to think of some other good books. There's there's a lot out there. Yeah, um, I definitely put you, know, you on Burton, the spot. Burton Spiller wrote a good book about uh, fly fishing. Okay, um, it's called Fishing Around. Cool. I really like his book a lot. Um, trying to think who else even writes about it um you know i i just can't think of any others but there's just so many good yeah. books out there I, I could go pull you know 20 books off of my my bookshelf but i just can't think of any right now <laughs> well good stuff myself and the listeners have we've got some new stuff to read including uh including your book so that'll be fun i want to we'll, we'll we'll touch on the book again before we before we part ways here but i want to circle back a little bit and talk talk a little bit about hunting you know we mentioned mentioned your your britneys earlier if you got one or two Britneys right now? You know, I, I had, um, I only have one French Brittany right now. Okay. Um, we lost Misty yep. uh, last year, tragically. So that was, that was tough. And she was right in the prime of her life and just was a wonderful bird dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can honestly say that I don't know what it feels like. I haven't, uh, haven't been through that and, and, uh, I certainly don't envy you, but you and, uh, myself, like a lot of others will, we will go through it you know, again, again, yeah. someday and, and, uh, don't look forward to it, but, but it's, it's part of, uh, part of owning the, the best friends that we have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And she was a great one. She was a good companion and, and an excellent bird dog. But, um, right now we have uh, rainy. She's out of Topperlin up in Montana. Okay. And, uh, she's great. She's just barely a year old and, uh, had a great first season last year. So have really high hopes for her and, and, uh, you know, she's, she's a lot of fun. Now, with with a dog that is just a year old, will you be will you be more apt to pick up another one sooner than later? What do you can you get by with one dog for a while? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to. I mean, I think, you know, within the next couple of years, I'll definitely pick up uh, another another pup. You know, I just don't know when. But I think the ideal situation is to have, you know, one that's maybe a little closer hunting, one that's a little far, further out. And that's that was the perfect setup that I had with my last two dogs. I had uh, a French Brittany, Sunny, and Misty that was an American Brittany. And, and it, I had the best of both worlds. So for quite a few years we you know we had some of some of my fun funnest hunting was with those two dogs because you know i'd have one that would hunt close and one that would get out and you know the one that got out probably found more birds but uh you know it was fun, fun to hunt with them both but yeah what now so you started with the started with the gsp and and then you had an alhia what eventually led you to the Brittany? you know um i had a friend um by the name of troy justison that that uh, grew up with with Brittany's, and he was a a childhood friend of ours and he he just loved the breed and right around the time that that i got into bird hunting he he did too he got back into it and, and he picked up like three french britneys from different breeders and um you know and he just offered me a pup and uh that was sunny girl so that was back in 2002 and uh we had her up until um 2016 when she passed so i just fell in love with that breed um you know, and then um, I had pointers and the French Brittany for a while. But then in 2010, um, I only had uh, Sunny Girl. She was starting to get old and, you know, her age was showing. And so I thought, man, it's time to get a new dog. So then I picked up Misty and, uh, you know, just fell in love with, with the American Brittany breed as well. She's super athletic, a li- little more athletic than, than Sunny Girl was, but, uh, you know, just, just had a lot of bird sense right out, right out the gate. So, yeah. so I've, I've been a diehard fan ever since. And, and, uh, you know, once you kind of find that, that breed that you love, you kind of stick with it. So, yeah, definitely. When you, when you talk about the dogs ranging, what kind of distances, just because I can't really picture the cover and I guess I'd like to, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the cover but what kind of range are you talking about well um it, it really really depends on where you're hunting yep if i'm in, if i'm in the grouse woods you know which you know like i consider that being up on top of the ridge you know hunting blue grouse as well i want the you know both of the dogs to be within range where i could hear their bell okay so so that and, and i don't use beeper collars i do use electronic collars but I don't use the beeper collars at all to, to try to keep track of them. And I don't have the GPS either. Okay. So, but, uh, when you're hunting like chuckers and, you know, things where, uh, you know, even sharp tails where there are no trees and you, as long as I can see the dogs, you know, and I can kind of follow what, what they're doing. I don't mind them getting out further. Yep. It's, you know, it's, if they're going to hold them, that's, that's no problem. So I, you know, that's a good thing I found about, um, Misty anyway, is that she, she would work the the cover based upon whatever you know. She she would spread out if if it was wider open cover. I guess you'd say. Yep, she had that had that adaptability. Yeah, that is that is the beauty of of a pointing dog when they when they do their job and they do it right. They can they can go out and find them and and just wait until we get there as long as the birds yep. cooperate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, and and I I'm not a uh, breed snob either. I've, I mean, I've seen plenty of beautiful work from all the other breeds you know sean for a long time had pointers and then he went to he's a he's a setter fan now and, okay and, uh, you know i've just love watching and hunting with his dogs as well so yeah. yeah there's a lot of variety out there and you know as well as i do that's that's part of what what makes it fun you know everybody's everybody's got their own style and their own way about it and it's it is really fun to to connect with other hunters and and learn something and see how other people do it for sure so are you a are you afflicted by the 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 common gun diseases that that many upland hunters have are you a gunman andy um am i a gunman you know i um i would like to be a gunman but i'm i'm a family man so i have i have a lot of kids to a lot of mouths to feed in my house but i've got um you know for for the longest time back when i first started i i had a remington oh i can't even remember the it's not the 1100 but it's the the wannabe 1100 and it was a semi-automatic and i could not shoot that gun worth a dang (laughs) so um you know back in 2008 my brother sean gave me his 20 gauge ruger red label and and i i learned how to shoot that gun i really loved that gun you know just uh over and under yep um 
And then I kind of caught the bug for uh, side-by-side classic guns. And uh, so now I have an Ithaca NID. I I can't remember the year. I think it's 1927. 20 gauge and it's it's got wide open choke cylinder and cylinder (laughs) for for a a good duffer like me and then um um, just last year um i got a uh let's see a a sterling worth it's so it was one of the the first 16 gauge sterling worths that they that they made really the fox company made yeah I knew that I knew that you had I knew that you did get a fox last fall I'd seen it we had chatted a little bit about it but what led you to the discovery that it was one of the first? Just looking up the serial number. Yeah, you know, um, when well, and my brother spoils me, but he he's the one that actually gave me that gun. Okay. And and he told me when when I got it, he says, "I want you to write an article about this gun." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> so I I started doing research. I actually bought uh, um, Mike. Is it Macintosh? Um, oh yes, his, Michael Macintosh. Yeah, that's what that's uh, what you yeah. and I were chatting about. We were talking. Yeah, that, about book that book is wonderful, by the way. Yep. You know, just just a good history book, anyway, which yep. I love. But but uh, so I read his book and did some online research, and that's how I discovered you know when that book was made. I did write the article. Um, I submitted it to the Double Gun Journal. They didn't accept it for publication in their magazine, but they they're going to put it in an anthology. I think that they put out this either this year or next. So okay. Yeah, so that was kind of exciting, but but you know that's kind of how I I figured out about the gun. But so it's just a common old sixteen gauge, but um, you know just fun to to learn the history of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what uh, what comes along with with those old guns and the history. And it was it was all pretty pretty new stuff to me. I mean, not not more than a not more than a few years ago, but but it's it's very enjoyable and it, it adds another layer and uh, and another element to to the hunt and and the reflections for sure. Yeah, and that that Ithaca that I you know the NID I actually wrote a chapter um, that, that appears in the grouse hunting book as well. It's called the Grouse Hunter's Dream. So. Anyway, that and that was first published, I think, by the Shot, uh, Shotgun Life, which is an online magazine. Very cool, very cool. Now we'll we'll, we'll circle back to to the book. There was, you know, I, I I encourage encourage listeners to check it out, and I'll I'll let you um, tell them where to go find more information on it. But I, you know, like I said, I I scanned through it, and there's some awesome awesome artwork and pictures in there, and and really I didn't have to go much much further than the the table of contents, just because the uh, the titles of the stories and essays were they they caught my attention. You know, you mentioned the the grouse and lawyers, and you know there was there was a handful of them in there that I wanted to <laughs> dive into right away but I I did read the last chapter of the book because you mentioned the classic story uh, Road to Tinkumtown by Corey Ford which is one of my all-time favorite stories and and that's uh, no different than than many people but I found that chapter to be very cool because it was I don't know if this is the lawyer in you but it was kind of like it was kind of like a a little investigative reporting almost on on that story and there were some really neat tidbits in there that you know a story that I've I've enjoyed for many years and and I didn't I didn't know I did not know the story behind the story which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that that was a fun one to write and and uh, you know I I've always loved that story. I remember the first time Sean introduced me to it. He actually sent me a copy of 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 the book that Laurie Morrow uh, edited i can't remember i think it's called feet and warm noses or something like that or no cold noses and, and warm i can't i can't remember but yeah, anyway I just, that's i just read it it was something like that yeah something like that but but anyway um that's the first time that they ever published the full uh road to tinkham town was in that book uh, and uh anyway i uh, just always loved that story but but the 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 thing that kind of cued me in on on the article and made me want to write it is that if you pull up, um, if you buy that the Upland Game Hunters Bible, I think by Dan Holland, and I don't know if you guys know the Hollands, but Ray Holland was the editor for I think Filmstream, and okay. um, his son Dan, you know, also worked for the magazine, and they they were good friends with with Corey Ford, and if you if you look at the the book. You know that book was a mass-produced paperback or you know softback book that you know you wouldn't think by looking at it that it you know it would have all these awesome stories. But it's actually a really really fun book. And if you look at the cover of, of the the book, it's got the author 
uh, Dan Holland, uh, sitting or standing in front of Corey Ford. And I think Corey's got a turkey hanging over his, his back. So they've been turkey hunting together. So they were friends. And, and, you know, anyway, you get to reading about the grouse hunting chapter. He mentions Tinkumtown and hunting Tinkumtown. And this farmer asked him, where'd you get those, those partridge? And he says, just over the mountain in, at Tinkumtown. And the guy says, there, there ain't no such place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because of that, you know, he talks about how he, he discovered, he first discovered Tinkumtown by, you know, using a map that he found at the local library. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was a map from, I think, uh, pre-Civil War days. And uh, anyway, it's, you know, kind of goes into that. So, you know, that, and that's a totally uh, a non-fictional book that, that was written, you know. So Corey Ford's story is obviously, you know, it's it's got some fiction to it. But, you know, there, if you read through it, there's there's some elements of, of truth to it. And that's what I tried to point out in the article. Yeah, that's that's what, what I certainly found enjoyable about that last chapter. And, and I guess we'll, we'll kind of use this as a dual recommendation. If, if any of the listeners out there, if you have not read The Road to Tinkuptown, I, I highly recommend it. And I, I assure you that uh, Andy would do the same. It's, it's, it's a fantastic story. It's a classic. And it is pretty well known amongst amongst people that you know consume a lot of that old classic outdoor literature but i would imagine there's still quite quite a few people that haven't read it i know the first time that i read it i i don't know how i somehow i stumbled upon i had to write a paper for a high school english class and i was i think i must have been googling something you know i must have had to find some kind of story and i was googling and i just stumbled across it on the internet believe it or not you know this was not too long ago early 2000s i'm not that old but but I found it on the internet. I wrote a paper, and I remember. I remember my teacher gave it back to me, and she said that she was broke down in tears just reading my story about the story. And and I think you find uh, you find reactions similar to a lot of people that that do read that story. You know, I I I, I would say I'd venture to say that it's probably the best uh, best hunting story ever written. And, yeah. I, and I and I really feel that way. I, and you know, kudos to to Corey Ford. He he's he's a wonderful writer, and I'm so glad that Laurie Morrow, uh, you know, brought his work back to us. But uh, the, you know, the pe- his his work is uh, at Dartmouth at their their library, and the you know the they they have uh, the Corey Ford collection, and they were gracious enough to let me. You know, I don't I don't think I uh, was wrong to to quote him, but they said no, you know, no problem to use his yeah. you know, use his work in in there. So. That was kind of exciting to to get their permission. Yeah, most definitely. So so with that, we'll kind of uh, we'll we'll leave it there, and I will I will uh, you know I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of the book and, and reading the rest of the book, and I, I really encourage you know the listeners if if they've been interested in in our conversation today and uh, they want to learn more about uh, Corey Ford's story, the Tinkum Town, and and all the other fun stuff, stories, and, and essays you've got packed in there, Andy. Where can they go find find this book? Well, it, you know, it is available on uh, uh, BarnesandNoble.com for pre-order, and, and also Amazon. But we're also, um, if you want a, a signed copy of it, um, I've got a little post that I did on Upland Ways, you know, and, and, and you can order it directly through my PayPal account. So we're, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, just, just let people know that it's available that way. So and, uh, I'm hopeful to, to place the order, you know, like the first part of August, you know, because the book comes out on August the 13th. So uh, excited to, you know, get that out to people. So Excellent. So barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and that's uplandways.com, right? Yep, that's right. All right, so signed copies, uplandways.com. Check it out there. Well, Andy, this has been uh, this has been a ton of fun. Um, if I uh, if I find myself making my way out to Idaho, you'd be one of the first people I call, and uh, I am I am certain I can speak for myself and uh, my buddy Garrett on this one. If you you and your brother ever make your way uh, out uh, out to the Midwest, we'd be happy to host you guys here for sure. Well, sure, we sure appreciate that, and you know, like like I told you before, you're you're always welcome in my coverts. I'd love to have you come out and show you around. Idaho's a special place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioning that 
that reminds me of one of the other essays in your book is cover or covert. And so I didn't read that one, but I, I might have to read that one tonight because you piqued my interest again. <laughs> well, you have to tell me what you think. <laughs> I will do that. Well, like I said, Andy, thank you uh, so much for joining us on the Project Tuppen podcast. I hope people go check out your book, and uh, we'll keep in touch. And best of luck with the book, and I and, uh, hope you have a great hunting season this fall. Hey, thank you. Same to you, and, and it was a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Take care. Take care. Bye. been listening to the project upland podcast that does it for this episode as your host i would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at pine ridge grouse camp and onyx maps head over to projectupland.com we've got it all for you there articles videos more great stuff from project upland and northwoods collective check it out at projectupland.com and don't forget You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast gear giveaway. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast, hit that little subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner. Also, we would love to hear from you. Please use the contact form at projectupland.com or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We could talk about bird dogs. We could talk about shotguns. We could talk about hunting trips you have planned. We can talk about future podcast guest suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.